We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast. We are brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Coming at you today with Charlie Johnson. It is Thursday, uh, March 5th. The Timberwolves have won their last two games, so we scrapped our other uh, <laughs> podcast topic for a rainy day because we'll see if there are rainy days going forward here. But our plan today is now that we've had 11 games of post deadline Timberwolves basketball I think we can we could take those 11 games to look at you know what what this team is compared to the pre-deadline team and obviously the roster is very changed but I, I think this is a good time for stats to say you know what what was what was the pre-deadline group doing statistically what is this new group doing as a team um, and as individuals too so we're going to go through the the 10 guys within the Timberwolves rotation what they're numbers and their play indicated before the deadline and what it has shown in these past 11 games but before that Charlie um, I guess just instant reaction to those two wins over the Pelicans and the Bulls uh, back to back the win streak how about that <laughs> I know I mean it's just fun I, I was at the game last night and it's just like for some reason I'm feeling rejuvenated like this is just kind of a fun team to watch like I was excited to go watch them play last night which I hadn't been you know for a couple months before the trade deadline so there's something about that but then to to watch this team continue to take threes like they were before the trade deadline but now start to actually make a pretty good amount of them that it's just kind of a revelation yeah I had a I had a friend uh, text me during the game or towards the end of it last night was saying are you do you like aesthetically like watching 
this team play more than yeah the old team and i was like well, for sure yeah. i mean it's uh i don't know there's obviously still holes and things i i don't i don't like as much i mean i'm someone who i understand why the league has gotten a lot faster i think it's kind of uh fun to play the chess game in the half court a little bit more i think that's cool for watching but yeah but from a from a standpoint of like seeing how this team can use itself offensively fast with the pick and roll you go oh yeah this is uh, this is kind of what like the NBA looks like when I watch good teams play on league pass. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. At least on one side of the floor. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, if we assume that this team's going to continue playing this style of play very fast, million threes, um, I think there'll be some point in time where I become nostalgic mm-hmm. to the idea of like older basketball, but maybe that's would just be me being old and a curmudgeon. It's just like, this yeah. is it. This is what the league is, you know, today. But for now, I, I really, I really am having fun with it. And it does, um, this style does fit the players, and I think when you have players playing in a style of play that fits their skill sets, um, that makes the team you're, you know, quote-unquote cheering for, you know, more more fun to watch. Yeah, no, totally. And, I mean, I think we might get some more of that, like, traditional basketball stuff when Cat gets back. A little bit more of it, just right. because he's a post player. But just to sort of bask in the glow of a two-game win streak – it's been so much fun for me as a fan. Like you were saying, this is, you know, kind of what successful offense looks like when you watch NBA League mm-hmm. Pass. It's also just kind of startling in a fun way to watch a guy like D'Angelo Russell dance around from 35 feet away, pull up, and then just be like, I bet that's going to go in. <laughs> I, I think that's going to go in. And also just to have a guy like Malik Beasley who can, like, catch and rise up and shoot in most situations over a lot of guys with really contested looks and similarly feel like, yeah, I bet that's going to go in. I have confidence that that's going to go in. And right. Those are like the two characteristics of, you know, to use like the, you know, the James Harden example. Yeah. They, the wolves have had nothing that's resembled anyone who could isolate like that. I guess maybe Derek Rose to a certain yeah. extent, but not, not in the prodding and step back for a three sort of way yep. um, that Russell is showing he can. And that, that's just like, uh, a major piece of the modern NBA. Totally. And, and so is having a high volume elite three point shooter. And Malik Beasley is embodying that as well. So yeah, it's, it's these like new sort of, I don't know, like concepts that are, are foreign to Timberwolves basketball, but you're like, yeah. Oh, I, I did know that that existed. <laughs> yeah, in, totally. It, some, it existed in basketball. It just hasn't really existed here. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been something, you know, it's been something to get excited about. And it, the, the team, Offense has been better mm-hmm. um, since the trade deadline. They're tenth in offensive rating in the league. I actually thought it'd be higher than that. Yeah, um, I don't know. Could it could it be a product of other teams go, doing really well? Um, yeah, yeah. I I think there's been some hollow times at the beginning offensively that probably you know factors into that. You've also you've also only have had D'Angelo Russell for nine of those eleven games. Yep. The non D'Lo games are factored in there. Um, they're also playing. <laughs> A bunch of young guys. Who, yeah. Even if they're playing like fun, fast basketball, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be efficient. So totally, I, I do still think um, top ten offensively is a coup because before the deadline they were twenty third in yeah. offensive rating. And the, I mean to be tenth in offensive rating since the trade deadline, when virtually all those games have been without Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, I mean, right. That's awesome. Yeah, because. I mean, I remember you and I talking before the season, and mm-hmm. our we both agreed that 
the kind of the floor for this team offensively was going to be 10th. Which has proven false. Proven very false because, well, literally they were 23rd before yeah. this trade went down, and yep. now I think they're like 20th in the aggregate. But, um, I mean, that notion was founded on the fact that Cat has never been on a team that's been worse than, than 13th, 13th. Yep. In, in offensive rating. And, you know, you had – you thought him progressing a style of basketball that empowered him would, you know, kind of make him take that jump. Obviously, there's been a whole bunch of holes yeah. really punched through that that haven't had it come together. And I think we kind of misjudged or misestimated just how big in, of an impact sticking to the scheme through thick and through extremely thin would have not on Carl Anthony Towns, but on the rest of the team. Yep. There's just like very little coming from elsewhere. Um, defensively, and I think we should remember this, before the deadline, they were 16th. That's weird. It is weird. It's weird. Because a Carl Anthony Towns team for the past four years has never been better than 25th. Kind of steady and proven, though. Those <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns-led defenses. Y- yes, there you go. <laughs> the trend is is upward. <laughs> I guess. No, I'm just joking. Um, so they're, they were 16th before the trades went down. They've been 28th now in these... 11 games um, since, which in aggregates out to the Wolves being 21st overall in uh, in net rating mm-hmm. over over this run of time. They're 24th before. So from a point differential standpoint, um, they've been slightly better than they were um, before the, the deals went down. Pre-deadline, they were 15 and 35, which was a 25 win pace. Um, since they're four and seven, which is would have been a 30 win pace. Hey. So I guess so. I mean, it is uh, it is improvement, and I think it's it's improvement um, not because they necessarily have more talent, but they have uh, more talent that fits into this style of play. They are yep. first in pace since the hmm. since the trade deadline, and were kind of slowly falling off of that. Got all the way down to seventh um, when they when they hit the the trade deadline. So it it, it is true that these pieces fit this. St- Scheme offensively, or the the desired style of play. I don't even know if I can pinpoint what the schemes are on either side of the ball anymore. But <laughs> no. the ethos of what they want to do, the identity, yep. um, you know, more ex- existentially of of what this team wants. Uh, yeah, you see that. You see that happening with this. Yeah. Team. Well, it is interesting that since the trade deadline in games that have generally not featured Cat. They've been more like the cat-led team that we expected, like a top ten offense, a bottom ten defense, yeah. and so I'm. I really just hope that we get to see eight, ten games with Cat there. I know there's no. I'm not trying to like hijack the podcast, and I know there's not been an update. Um, but there I, will be on Monday. We're again we're recording this on Thursday. Yeah, there'll be some sort of update on uh, Monday. Which so there's the Orlando game on Friday, Pelicans game on Sunday, and then yep. uh, we'll hear. That would just help. It would just be not only fun to see them play together, this group with Carl Anthony Towns. He's the reason that you upended the entire roster Mm -hmm. to get a whole new group of players in here. So it would really feel good to (laughs) to watch them play together. And it would it's going to feel for me a little hollow going into the off season if all we know of is what you know that. D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley can lead be the backcourt of a team that plays at a 31 pace. Like that's not very valuable information. I, I'm I'm on uh, that side of the argument with you too. Of it would be valuable to to see Cat play 
Um, I do think there's another side to I it. I see you have Tankathon pulled up. I have Tankathon <laughs> pulled up on my computer. Um, the win last night, going into the Chicago game, the Wolves had the third worst record in the league, and they've slid with a win uh, to the fifth worst record in the league. That obviously has a you know an impact on their chances of jumping you know up to the first pick. Uh, if you're third, you have a 14% chance of it. If you're fifth, you have a 10 and a half. That those that's how the odds are flat. You're like, oh, that's mm-hmm. not that big of a deal. But when it becomes a deal, is if you slide down to fifth or it's, let's say sixth, I think that's about reasonably bad place they could fall. If that happens, if you fall down to sixth, you have a 62% chance of drafting um, after after sixth. Really. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's how it works because yeah. the odds that teams can can jump ahead yeah. of you. Whereas if you're third, you have you have a a fifty two percent chance of drafting there, and you can't you can't fall any lower than Fifth, sixth. Yeah, sixth, yeah. So it's the lottery is about where you can, you know, they they sell it as oh this you have a chance at jumping to the one pick, the two pick, or the three pick, but really at the end of the day. The lottery is about where you draft, mm-hmm. where every team falls. Mm-hmm. And why tanking is still incentivized in this NBA by the rules is that it prevents your odds of dropping lower. Yep. There's, you know, if Carl Anthony Towns comes back, there's a very obviously reasonable chance that they win more games and that through that they end up being a team who's drafting mo- something more like ninth or 10th. Not because they'd have the ninth worst record, yes. but because they could fall down in those in those lotteries. And and like I'm not saying it like a three percent chance of falling. Like you could really, uh, it, it's a, you really could fall down yeah. there even if you have the ninth worst. If even if you don't have the ninth worst record. So, um, that's the other you know that's the other side of the argument. Um, they've they've said all along every indication I've heard is that Cat wants to come back to play, um, but that his wrist is currently broken, mm-hmm. and these two weeks. Um, are to assess if it can heal and how much it can, how sure. much it is healed in in that amount of time, and then I think what you'll see is oh there was healing progress, um, and then you go okay it's going to be another we think in another two weeks it'll be fully healed and it'll go or they say we didn't see any progress We're in these two weeks it's time for surgery. Um, so I mean it seems unlikely. Even a, a good news might be yeah we hope to have him back for the last five games of the year. Right. If good news was we've seen some healing, we think he'll be ready to go two weeks from now. Well, I think if he has surgery, he's done. No, no. But if they just say we're seeing some healing, we think that it's going to be a couple more weeks and then it'll be fully healed. Mm -hmm. Then uh, a good case scenario is really only getting him back for the last handful of games. Right. Or maybe the last like six, seven, eight games of the year. If you're getting back. And I just think at that point. You just don't. They just wouldn't play him. You don't. You think they wouldn't? I I, I totally understand. I mean, it, it will depend on. The, they if he has surgery, they're just gonna yeah totally. go with the most caution possible, and they're gonna go. I mean, I think just there's a there just is a possibility that he doesn't play again this year. I think I'd put my money on it. Um, but and, and I that's to- just us guessing. <laughs> yeah, but but you know you look at Kyrie Irving. Yep, like, he got you know he got shot. I mean. It's a broken wrist. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, not like a sprained wrist. It's not nothing. He's b- broke his wrist. Yes. that's. It's definitely real. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, this isn't just some, oh, let's cautionary keep him out sort yeah. of deal. It's 
it's a it's an injury. So, um, I, and I get the value of tanking, of course. Mm-hmm. I think it's smart that teams do it, but I, especially with the way they've flattened the lottery odds, if you have a you know you're going to get them back for the last eight games, and maybe that means the statistics would say you'll win like a one more game. They don't become like yeah. a good team with Cat, just a little mm-hmm. bit better. I just think that the value of building chemistry, maybe winning more games so that a guy like Malik Beasley, a guy like D'Angelo Russell is excited to try to come back next year and you just build momentum going into the offseason. I think they're with this team being so newly put together, I see value in that. I asked Malik Beasley about that after the game um, where I was – I just said, you know, obviously the record is where it is and it was before, you know, Beasley got here. And so I, I said to him, like, what it wouldn't make definitely make sense in a, you know, a big picture sense to win a bunch of games for the rest of the year. But, you know, what do you think it would mean to this group mm-hmm. to win, say, half your games for the rest of, you know, for the rest of the season? And it was kind of an interesting answer. Like, I think the politically correct answer is, oh, you just you just need to win, need to win no matter what. Like, that's yeah. and he didn't say that. He said, um. He goes, well, you know, there's the guys like me in this locker room, like like me, like Wancho, like James Johnson, like D'Angelo, who have experienced winning before. So there's not, it, like, it kind of implying it, it's not as impactful sure. for them. Yeah. But that's an but, interesting. But point. then, but then he said he goes for all these other guys who the majority of them, this is all they've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, he it was I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but just saying that finding a pattern of winning like for the for the stretch of a month mm-hmm. just kind of has a residual impact of like the day after day of it yeah and and he he referenced like he referenced how shoot around is different the next day after you've had if, after you've won the game mm-hmm. or if you won a couple games and it's his implication was it becomes more valuable like you get more out of your practices you get more out yep. of and and i'm sure there's I would believe that's true to some extent. Now, do I know how exactly how to weigh that against lottery odds, against whatever of development and all these different factors? No, but I think there is truth to the notion that there's an argument on both sides to just, yeah, absolutely. you know, to that it would be valuable for this team to win. Yep. And it would be valuable for this team to lose. Yeah. And, you know, it's <laughs> it always kind of end up being somewhere in the middle. That's why, you know, Gerson Rosas would take umbrage with somebody saying, like, calling them tanking and that's why he did his tank tank that tweet um but because it's not like tanking in the strict like definition of the word you know means you're trying to lose every game they're Mm -hmm. not trying to lose every game here we're we're using or i think the public uses the term tanking more like loosely where it's just i think not doing everything you possibly can to maximizing a win and that's different than trying to lose yeah yeah, definitely. And I, I but you could see the semantics why someone would look at that and go like, well, if you're not doing everything you can to try to win on some yeah. level, aren't you trying to right, lose? Right, right, right. Yeah, no, that, that's, but I, that's I, something I, there yeah. too. But there is there is a semantic yeah. element you know, to the Just selfishly, as somebody who oh, for just sure. likes to watch fun basketball, I'd like well, to see Cat in that Nas Reed role. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I mean, and and it, it makes this better. I mean, I'm excited to to have a like a conversation today about mm-hmm. – um, that isn't about 
what Malik Beasley is going to be paid in the summer. <laughs> you know, did a you conversation? hear what John Krasinski said about that uh-uh. on the his podcast? He, I don't know, I don't want to like put words in his mouth. This isn't a quote, and I don't know if it was like sourced or a guess, but he said he thought it, his market was getting up above like fifteen million dollars now. And I usually take the things he says as being, yeah. not you know, based on knowledge. I, I've just talked in by Johnny Games, yeah, yeah. you know, and talked about it, and uh, and what what he's brought up to me is that uh, Malik's represented by Clutch, yeah, and Clutch has a history of getting their guys paid, even um, in situations where you go, wow, that was more than I anticipated. They found some sort of way to do it. Um, I, I've heard that angle of mm-hmm. why it would be driven up, but my belief as to why I think it will be more like 15 max is I'm just looking at the market, mm-hmm. uh, as we've talked about before yeah. of, I don't, I don't see, um, I don't see where those big offers come from. Oh, and I do want to, I said something wrong in the last podcast with Jace that I corrected on Twitter. Um, I suggested the idea that New York could just throw a one-year, $20 million offer mm-hmm. at Malik Beasley and then just let him roll it out again. That was stupid. I don't know what I was thinking. I, it restricted free agent. You have to have two years, multiple years. So that totally throws out that, like, New York would definitely not do two years, $40 million Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. now the, then they've committed $20 million into yeah. their big summer. You know, so, and that... Yeah, so, I mean, more fuel for your fire. Exactly. And yeah. you, you literally said, I don't want to get into Malik Beasley. <laughs> yeah. So, sorry. But let's, no, let's talk about, um, let's go through this roster. Um, each of the players that have been playing, it's kind of been a 10-man rotation. And, uh, yeah, and talk about what um, what they were doing before the deadline, whether mm-hmm. I was here or uh, at a different stop. And then um, kind of, you know, say, do these numbers uh, meet the eye test or not? Yeah, perfect. So we'll start with Malik. I did. I ordered this in from order of most minutes per game <laughs> to least minutes. And per he's game. number one. He is number one. Um, yeah. And he, I'll just do the the Pelicans game and the Chicago game. In the Pelicans game, he scored twenty eight, had four assists, three rebounds, made seven of eight from two, four of five from three. Uh, ridiculous shooting. The Chicago game the next night, twenty four points, two assists, three rebounds, four of six from two, four of eight from three. Um, that just really has bolstered where his numbers are in these 11 games since coming to Minnesota, which is 21.4 points per game, 2.3 assists, five rebounds, playing 33 and a half minutes a night, shooting 52% from two and 44% from three. Um, 61% true shooting. That's incredible. That's very good. <laughs> and then if you compare that to, to Denver, um, he was just scoring eight points a game, 1.2 assists two rebounds and playing 18 minutes a night, 42% from two and 36 point or 36% from three. So essentially his um, production has more than doubled and not even doubled the minutes. And he's been more efficient from both two point range and three point range. So it's, yeah, the idea was always, you know, I think coming in optimistically that, you know, you just give him a, a bigger role outside of like the ninth man in Denver, you double his minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to double his production Uh, thus far. It's been even more than that. Yeah. He's been more than twice as productive. Yeah. Um, Like bandwidth has made him more efficient, Mm -hmm. which is not normally how things work. Yeah. I mean, he, he strikes you as like a heat check player, like in, Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe like the ideal world where he's on like a championship caliber team, he's like that sixth man mm-hmm. who just gives you all the offense that you need off the bench. Um, but the biggest thing, I mean, obviously the biggest thing is the shooting. And it's just made me start to think like, could this guy be like, I mean, ob- he's not going to keep shooting 44% on nine three-point attempts per game. <laughs> but like, could this guy be like a, a, an elite shooter? And I don't mean elite in the sense that like, um, I, I, I really mean elite, like one of the best shooters in the league, not just like a mm-hmm. good like 37% on high yeah. volume, but like one of the shooters in the league. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't think it's something that you can, like, guess, but it's interesting and obviously encouraging to see that throughout his career, the more opportunity he's had, the better his three-point shooting has been. In 20, I mean, last year in Denver, his biggest opportunity yet, and he shoots 40% from three. And the couple years before that, when he was just getting spot minutes, it's more like 33%. In college, he was a good three-point shooter. Like, is there a world where this guy is, like... A, a, a better three-point shooter than any of us really even guessed. I, I think the, the, the argument for that is what we've seen is an extremely replicable shot motion. Totally. And it's it's been really interesting to meet you and you kind of have these um, one-on-one or media interactions. You get a you get a sense of a person's personality, right? Mm-hmm. And and he is he's kind of erratic in yeah. in the way he. I don't mean that in a bad way. He's just kind of all over the place. Totally. Uh, and like you would think that personality type would then play basketball like Josh Okogi, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like if you talk like a scribble, you play like a scribble. <laughs> yeah. And but that's that's so. It, it's it's just very interesting that he, to me that his shot mechanics are so mechanical. Yep. And and replicable. It's the same thing every time, and that's. When you talk about the elite shooters in the league, when J.J. Redick shoots, it looks the same every time. I saw you had a tweet with him and, and Doug McDermott yep. and, you know, a couple of those other you know elite guys that you're talking about are high volume and well over 40%. I think that is – that's a characteristic yep. of, of those type of players. So there's a – I think there's there's certainly um, an argument to be made that, uh, that that he could be that. Yeah. I think, I think the way he gets out – of being like a 40 plus percent guy is by forcing it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think we actually saw at the beginning and he's kind of acknowledged. He's like, I was trying to make a name for myself right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he kind of embraces a role, a big role, yeah. but embraces a role that should prevent him from being erratic. Yeah. And, and I think that's how he becomes, you know, an elite player whose bread and butter is being an elite knockdown shooter especially if and this is all like just like who knows like there i just think there's a world where this is the case i'm not saying i think it's true but to your point and then if that role is one that's around an offense that's catered toward d'angelo russell carl anthony towns pick and rolls you'd think he'll have some nice catch and shoot opportunities with some good spacing like he should be if this is his role on this team and cat comes back he should be able to get good looks and a lot of them do you remember the it was just there was one play um, where D'Angelo's running the point, gets a high screen, and he's moving to his left, his his natural way of going, and and he whips, he kind of gets to about the the nail, and he whips a one-handed left-handed pass to uh, Wancho Hernan Gomez, who is in the right corner. Wancho cat- catches it, immediately swings it to Malik above the break, and the you know right next to him, 
and knocks it down and i was just like that's that's, that's it that's that's it <laughs> Like, that's how this works. That's what we've been waiting for. <laughs> and, I mean, and obviously there's been numerous examples of that, but I was just, that play was all about those three. Yeah. And, and I mean, it was really fun to watch the Wolves pick the Pelicans apart with the pick and roll. This D'Angelo, is man. Watching D'Angelo but, I mean, everyone, but particularly apart. D'Angelo. Yeah. That's fun. I mean, yeah. it's cool to have a bread and butter. Right. Like, a bread and butter that's not something that, you know, can be denied by a point guard who's bad at post-entry passes or a good <laughs> big man defender. Oh, I'm kind of like kind of a joke, but also kind of serious. Like it's hard for a seven footer to posting up be your go-to move. It's easy for a yeah. pick and roll with a you point guard. Yeah, you just run it. <laughs> you just no, playoffs is a different animal. I mean, kind of, but you can still pretty much run a pick and roll. On offense. <laughs> <Yeah>. On offense, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so to getting to Malik, getting back to Malik yep. and just what his uh, – his offensive and defensive net ratings are. He's of the ten rotation players. He has the second highest offensive rating, um, and the second worst defensive rating of the group, which um, balances out to a minus three point six net rating, which is sixth best of the ten guys. Right on, right on, on par with the minus three point four that they are sure, yeah. a, as a whole. Um, so, yeah, I think they're. Uh, they think it's what we anticipated. Um, he's a, a – that matches. I, I, I would say yeah. that matches um, what I've seen, which is elite offense. I see him um, not be a part of a good defense right now and, and him being the flaw in it often too. I think he's a guy who could be a piece of a good team defense. I don't think he individually makes um, – I don't think he individually has like an impact – on on the group that elevates it defensively yeah um the very whereas like maybe robert covington you kind of think of in that sort of mm-hmm. vein um malik beasley is thin and short and you see him getting run through yep um on straight line drives frequently and he is that's where he has to grow and i think some of that is going to be about literally growing and mm-hmm. getting bigger um that's that's kind of how you balance out those defensive numbers um I think a lot of pe- I've heard a lot of people pushing back on you know his RPM defensive RPM numbers were really bad and you go oh no I see a guy working hard d- defensively and uh, you know I I I see that too um, I see the outline of a player who could be a solid defender but he I mean he isn't right now yeah you have to squint your eyes and mm-hmm. like look at it a little bit differently no but, it's just, but pr- it's you're projecting you uh, could project him yep. being better um, I and think it's safe to say he wasn't a good defender in Denver and is not a good defender yet here either. Yeah. Not atrocious, but not, um, See, not positive. But those, those numbers match up. Yes. Match the eye test. And, yeah, I, I you know, I that. wouldn't be surprised if we go another 11 games and it doesn't look like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's this is him. But right now, this is this is Malik Beasley. Yeah. Um, Who's yeah. next? And then other than that, the one th- last thing I wanted to say on him is – his shot selection has been almost exactly the same as Denver. Oh, really? Which was uh, interesting to me that he's 54% of his shots have been threes here and 53% of his shots are threes in, in Denver. He's shooting a couple less mid-range okay. uh, shots than he was yeah. in, in Denver and has kind of repurposed those into the paint. Yep. Um, but largely, it's the exact same shot chart, Yep. Um, which is which is good, is in, is, I think is encouraging. Oh, and the, the last thing I want to say I did for each of these guys – is their their best individual partner um, in this mm. run, and Malik Beasley's has been Nas Reed. 
Huh. What does that say? I don't know what that. Says I don't know about. if anything these say anything, but I did it for <laughs> for everyone. Nas been guys. starting, like maybe that's it. Nas is a uh, Nas will come up frequently in positive numbers in this. He will be a lot of players' best pairing. Huh. Which is interesting, but yeah. we'll, we'll get to that with okay. him. Okay. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, he had uh, 23 points, eight assists, three rebounds against the Pelicans. Five for 12 from two, three for nine from three against Chicago. He scored a little bit less, 19 points, four assists, three rebounds. He was two for three from two and four for 10 from three. I don't think those four assists um, are indicative of how impactful he was as a passer in that game. It was a lot of, and just a pick and roll has this uh, in nature, that the point guard will have a lot of hockey assists. Yep. And um, he had he had quite a few hockey assists in, in that game uh, as well. Overall in Minnesota, nine games for him. Obviously, he sat out. He sat out the first game, and then he sat out the Denver game uh, w- to rest. Uh, but his numbers are 23.1 points per game, 7.3 assists, 4.2 rebounds on 33 minutes a night, 50% from two, 37.9% from three. Those numbers are almost identical to Golden State, which was 23.6 points, 6.2 assists, 3.7 rebounds, 32 minutes a night, 48.7 from two, and 37.4% from three. So almost literal mirrors. Yeah. Um, what has stood out to you about D'Angelo Russell? Well, I, I mean, I mentioned the uh, just the being able to shoot it from anywhere and at any time, and I think that's just a really cool skill. And it's also <laughs> something that this team hasn't have and hasn't had and needs, and it's been fun to watch. I think the passing has stood out to me. Just you know, I know he's always been an assists guy, but sometimes with point guards, you just get assists, especially when you're in that like four, five, six assist range. Like you start That's a Jeff Teague thing. Yeah, yeah. You just kind of like get assists, and it's stuck out to me. I mean, the examples in the pick and roll, like being able to do those like one-handed skip passes that you see. I mean. Very few players around the league yep. do. It's like the LeBron pass. His vision has stood out to me, as has the defense. It's been as bad as I expected. Um, I was talking to Britt about this before the game, and so so for me, when I started covering this team was um, right once the 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 big Jimmy year where they got Taj and Jeff Teague, and I, I think I've said this before on the pod, but. I felt like I had a really good idea of who Jeff Teague was mm-hmm. um, or a good idea of who Jeff Teague was when they traded for him. And as time went on, you know, I had to admit to myself that, you know, how many Indiana Pacers games did you really watch yeah. or how, how, how much did you actually remember Jeff Teague on the Atlanta Hawks? Like you have an, a loose idea of these players that if we're being honest is pretty pretty much drawn from stats yep and, and narratives and narratives and you know over time which i think that is the great thing about being someone who watches all 82 games for whether it's a fan or a media member is you know you learn mm-hmm. you just learn by consumption mm-hmm. of of who a player is you get to know what their identity is you get to know that um you know that Jeff T gets a lot of assists, but they're not. He doesn't isn't as impactful as that number suggests. Um, he isn't a super high volume scorer, but he's a better scorer than you know. Maybe his points per game indicates. Yep. You know, you, you you get to learn those things, and it's why I'm I'm writing, you know, something on 
we're going to have something on Dan Russell for next Monday of just kind of taking, you know, taking in what it will have looked like to watch him play his first, well, I guess by then it'll be 11 games mm-hmm. in Minnesota because you learn. You learn over time when you're, when you're watching, when you're spotlighting somebody, what, um, who they are as a, as a basketball player. And then, you know, fortunately being able to be around the team kind of, he, he's been really interesting to me from a personality standpoint. Why you is know, that? I don't, I can't figure him out. Okay. Um, you know, he's, uh, I, I, I like his personality more than I expected to. Yeah. I don't, um, I, it's, I'm not saying I di- I dislike it. He's, he's rather distant with the media. Okay. And my theory on that is because he went from LA media mm-hmm. where he was, you know, not performing well to the brutal New York media when he was in Brooklyn to, you know, kind of being put through the gauntlet over the past year, um, you know, somewhat self-inflicted from, you know, getting arrested at the airport to just everything that hap- happened in. Most so in, endearing. Yeah, <laughs> in, in Golden State. So uh, I Minnesota media is very different yeah. than, than those three places he's been. So I don't know. I think he's, uh, he's feeling that out a little bit. Yeah. But he hasn't been, he hasn't been uh, totally knowable. Yeah. Yet. But I cut you off from the parallel you were drawing to kind of watching and knowing Teague. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, my parallel is, is I'm learning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I don't want to say, uh, or or maybe admit that I was a little bit too definitive on on what I thought about D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that was loosely kind of like you said, narrative mm-hmm. of like, you know, this is this guy who's been a major pick and roll player. Um, Efficiency-wise in the pick and roll, he hasn't been great. And then defensively, he has this narrative that surrounds him as being a, you know, a terrible defender. Mm-hmm. Now, are those things proving to be true? Yes, but I think there's I think there's details in there. Um, if you want to look at the pick and roll, I think a big part of the reason why um, his pick and roll efficiency hasn't been as high, even though his volume has not been ha- has been high, is because he was playing with a strictly rolling big in Brooklyn with, you know, Jared Allen. Yep. And I think, I think that minimizes some of his, you know, capabilities in that. I think I, I anticipate him to be a far better pick and roll player than what those numbers, you know, previously indicated. And then defensively, I mean, there's a whole, there, there's certainly issues, but I think he could be not terrible. Yeah. And that wasn't, you know, that, that wasn't the narrative. The narrative is he's always going to be awful. And I don't know. I, I, I see things at times that are smart from him. Mostly like using his length and some awareness. Mm-hmm. Most of that stuff. And I, I like how he uses his length. What I don't like is sometimes when he uses his length, he has a tendency to get really upright, which I think minimizes his athleticism which mm-hmm. is already not at a high level. Um, but th- there's things in there that if you get him to buy in, he could become something approaching competent defensively, I think. But again, my, my, my broader point is, is I don't want to, I don't want to give him a grade on that, on anything. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we, I don't know. I don't think he deserves that. I yeah. We've got to see. I get that. The reason I said that, his defense has been as bad as I expected. I mean, it's just because it it has been to 
to me. <laughs> I agree with you that like there's a world where he gets better defensively because of that length. I don't know. It's hard for me to see it approaching like adequate or average just because he lacks explosiveness. But I don't I, think he's worked on his body. Like sure. from a strength standpoint. I don't new regime Enough. and everything, yeah. but I would love to see the Timberwolves get somebody to put on some weight. I'll believe yeah. that when I see it. Right. Yeah. Um but he uh just wa- he ha- he just has been bad. Like you wa- he gets yep. rolled over to the rim. He like sometimes it doesn't look like he's contests. He's like even trying that hard to contest. Like, I, yep. He's just like he's bad out there. Yep. No, no, no. Right I, I think he is. I think I yeah. think he is. He is bad right now. And obviously, it's a it's part of the reason why they're twenty eighth in defensive rating in the yeah. league. That's know. a good notion that like him working on his body could 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 no, make I him think, more, like I he could get to the, the free throw line more. Like he like it could mm-hmm. help out a lot of his weaknesses. In, in, a, in a lot of yeah, I think yeah. a lot of elements of the game and, and just conditioning too. Yeah, I think that's a, an underrated element of working on your body is not having seven eight minute stretches of games where you're not. Yep. where you're operating on red, you know? Yep. And I think a lot that's an issue for a lot of players uh, yeah. in the league, including Carl Anthony Towns, I think. Um, offensively, he of the 10 rotation players, he's fifth in offensive rating. Uh, defensively, he's seventh amongst the 10. Hmm. And in net rating, he's fifth, right about an average. So as far as statistical impact and like a crude sense of points allowed versus points um, scored, he hasn't been as impactful as... As far as D'Angelo Russell's past advanced stats like that or on off stats like that go, that's really good for him, though. Because one of his things in the past has always been, like, teams generally kind of perform better when he's off the floor, even if Mm. he's like this. So now being net neutral is a step up. (laughs) (laughs) It's only like 11 games. You also got Jordan McLaughlin playing great right now. That's true. Yeah, in your backup. Guess who Russell's best partner is? And I should say this is just in terms of net rating. Well, now I want to guess Nas Reed, but I I've really thought that he's looked good when Malik Beasley's been out there, but I have a hard time guessing that that lineup has a defensive rating that could right. keep them competitive. Jake Lehman. Huh. And That's a small sample. Smaller sample, yeah. but it, it's still I, – I cut it off at 50 minutes played oh, okay. for all of them, yeah. which was – I mean, they kind of range from like 50 to 200. So I think it was – I think him and Lehman was maybe like 85. I don't remember. I have yeah. it up here somewhere, but – um, that was his best, and they were plus 11.3 together, which is the third best pairing on the team. Yeah. And I think some of that's intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Lehman is a much better defender um, than well, – I, I just – I don't know if he gets credit for or whatever. I don't even know what he gets credit for. <laughs> but uh, he um, – I don't think he would get credit for that. I think he's aware defensively. Yeah. And um, it, w- particularly when they've been running this zone a lot – I think he's been very helpful in communication there, demanding that guys get to their spots. Um, I, I think I think Jake Lehman is a is a helpful defender in the context of this group. Uh, and even and at the he, four, no, not at the four, just no. at the three. Just like generally speaking, yeah, I yeah. Know, I, I don't it. even know what position anybody in this team plays. No, but that's I, that's a part of it. It is. Like, if I mean, Keelan Martin sub last night against Chicago um, when they took Wancho out first in the first quarter. They put Keelan Martin in to play the four and not, and then Jake ended up being the 10th guy into the game. Um, so yeah, he, Jake, Jake is not, we'll get to him. He isn't, he isn't playing a lot, but you know, I, I, it makes sense to me when I think about it, that, that him and Russell could be a good pairing on both sides of the ball because uh, Jake is a, in this, on this group, a good defender and mm-hmm. he's a good cutter. Yeah. That I think, you know, that'll synergize 
well with Russell. Some of his uh, on-off stats at the end of the year are just going to be astounding. <laughs> yeah. If they keep playing okay, especially now that he's back. I know. It's going to be awesome. He's, 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 <laughs> defensively, particularly. He's, <laughs> yeah. Um, Juancho Hernan Gomez as uh, the next guy. He had 16, 8, and 2 against the Pelicans. was 4 for 6 from 2, 2 for 5 from 3 against Chicago. He had 12, 7, and 2. He was 2 for 3 from 2, 2 for 5 from 3. Um, in Minnesota, he's averaging 13.8 points, 6.9 rebounds, 1.5 assists on 29 and a half minutes a night, 48% from two, 45% from three. Um, he's been really good. I, in Denver, he played in 34 games, but wasn't playing at all. Averaging three points a game, three rebounds, not even an assist, uh, and was shooting poorly, 46% mm -hmm. from two, 25% from three. So his... I guess if you compare and contrast contrast pre-deadline pre numbers to post-deadline numbers, his is the, the biggest jump of this, sure, this, yeah. this entire team, and that just kind of um, makes some, some sense uh, in the context of, you know, yeah. what <laughs> that is. He's really been given uh, given a role here. Just do those the rating numbers things here yeah. first, too. He's uh, third in the group in offensive rating amongst the 10 rotation players, last in defensive rating of the 10 rotation players. Hmm. And um, that bounces out to eighth in terms of net rating, noticeably worse than, uh, you know, the team as a whole. What? Uh, where, where do you fall in? I feel like he's kind of some people have yeah. go both ways on what he's shown so far. I think he's shown more than I expected. I would like preface with that. He's been better than I expected. What do you, What do you think his best skill is? What do you think his like his calling <laughs> if I have, card if is? We have to pause. Yeah, that's, well, that's, that's probably a sign that he's not. I think <laughs> shooting, you'd hope. Is it shooting? Like, if this isn't going to stick, you say but. Floor, floor spacing and yeah. understanding how to be a floor spacer in terms of passing and shooting yeah. on the perimeter. I don't think, I don't think the 45% from three is um, something that's going to stick. But with him, like with Malik, we can hope the 43% holds. Yep. And that doesn't seem or ridiculous. Or 39 or 41 sure. or, yeah. But, like, Wancho, I think, if, you know, he was back next year and played a major role and shot 36% from three, I think we'd be cool with that. Yeah, totally. Or I would be cool with that because I see him to be an off-the-bench big. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a career 36% three-point shooter. Right. I, I just – I think that's going to inform your opinion of how he's played yeah. you know, thus far is do you view him – as a guy who's one of the 30th, 30th best, 30 best power forwards in the league, or more like 45. Yeah. And um, I think he's, yeah, like a bench. A bench I don't see forward. any world where D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns are your pillars and Juancho Hernan Gomez is a starter and your team is good. Yeah. I don't see any world where he can be like a huge piece for this team just because he's not good enough at defense. Or and he's not good enough at rebounding either. My my thing with Wancho has been like, he's good. He's he's solid at most things. Like wow, he's a really good shooter right now. He looks like he's a solid passer. He doesn't look like a sieve on defense. But like, what is he good at? Like, what's going to keep him on the floor? I guess the biggest disappointment I've had with him has probably been rebounding. Not that I thought that he was like a a, a great rebounder, but I. And I, the numbers actually don't bear this out, but just watching the last couple games, yeah. I've just kind of been feeling like hey, you want more from him as a rebounder. 
and it felt like his reputation was as a better rebounder. But um, statistically, if I remember correctly, he had a very good rep, uh, like that he was supposed to be a good offensive rebounder. Yep. Um, and then defensive rebounding was more average. And what stood out on this team thus far is defensive rebounding has really been a problem. Yeah. And and naturally, we're going to blame the bigs for that. And I, I, I do think that's fair. I don't think he is a strong defensive rebounder because I don't think he's a strong person. Yeah. Um, I think he's slight up. He's listed at like 214. Mm. Um, I actually think he's probably bigger than that. That might be an, an old number. But, uh, but yeah, that, that sort of physicality in terms of defensive rebounding is an issue. And I think that's like the same physicality issue presents a problem when he's trying to finish through traffic mm-hmm. on offense. Um, I think he needs to be stronger in both of those sort of ways. And I don't, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be something that's just so simple as putting on 10 pounds of muscle and you're good. Yeah. Um, I, 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 quite frankly, I don't, I don't think so. I think those will be kind of forever issues Yeah. for him. Not, not gaping issues, but problems. But he'd be a, a, a nice depth piece to have. I think it's, you're not in a, you know, you obviously don't want to lose someone that you traded a first round pick in part to get, but I think you're almost in a good situation with him at the end of the year where if he gets, you know, an offer sheet that is really meaningful over several years, just kind of happily let him walk. Mm-hmm. But if the market's not there for him and he kind of gets lowballed and you can get him for, you know, a, a, a good yeah. cheaper long-term deal and you just say great now i got another cheap bench piece like a, a layman and another tradable contract like a layman exactly i i think um maybe when the trade went down or, or, or still we're kind of referring to it as the wolves traded a first round pick for malik beasley and Juancho hernan gomez which almost essentially implies that they're each worth half a first round pick mm-hmm. yeah sure more of that investment yeah. was about malik beasley agreed well, and we don't forget about Jared Vanderbilt. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Jared Vanderbilt, too. Um, I Because I forgot about <laughs> I, I just think it's not – if Wancho does walk and they retain Malik at a number, I still think you've – like you, you haven't lost half of that. No. That value, which is then, you know, connect the dots, a, a quarter of Robert Covington because you got two first-round picks for Robert Covington. Like, it's – you know, it – it's not going to be the end of the world, I think, if they lose either of them. No, um, not the end of the world. Because part of that's part of what you paid for was the yep. risk of of them going. Yeah, I mean, you bought the restricted free agency in ways, but it it comes with uh, the possibility of getting outbid. You can't know what their market is. Mm-mm. You can judge it, but you can't know it because um, all it takes is is one team. So, um, yeah. So for him, I, I I don't I don't think we should be disappointed with what 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 we've seen from I'm him. I'm pleased. I, I didn't expect to see as much productivity as we've seen from him so far. I, right. I didn't. His best partner has been Nas Reed. Hey. <laughs> um, what? what? That's starting front court. Yeah. So that's. It huh. is a product of um, very good offense. Yeah. And bad but not horrific defense. And they have a positive uh, in quite a few minutes together. Plus four point seven net rating, huh. which is the seventh what? best of the group. Not w- Wancho Nas Reed front court has a meaningfully positive net rating. And l- got to be some sample size there. That just does not uh, does not sound. I, I, right. I know. Hey, I'm just it's just the number. No, I I'm just, yeah, I'm yeah. just saying. Um, <laughs> That's crazy. Next on the list, Josh Kogi. 
Um, he had 11 uh, points, four rebounds, one assist against the Pelicans, three for five from two, one for two from three. Chicago, he only had five points, four rebounds, two assists, made his one two, was one for three from three. Um, his numbers have improved uh, since the deadline, more in efficiency than in uh, volume of production. He's averaging nine and a half points um, now before he was averaging eight and a half. He has, has had four rebounds a game before it was 4.4 rebounds. Um, and then his assists, he's been at one and a half both times. He's playing uh, 26 and a half minutes a game now. It was 24.4 before. Um, so he's like in ways it seems like everything has stayed the same. But what I really see, and I think it this now again shows up in his efficiency numbers, is the team having put a lot more confidence in him, mm-hmm. him taking that and being much more positively impactful. He shot, since the deadline, 65% from two, wow. which is very good. It was previously 51% from two, which isn't bad. Um, he's made a third of his three since the deadline, and before that he was he'd only made 24.4% yes. of his threes. It was truly horrific. So <laughs> I, I think uh, – I, I think um, you're talking about a crime scene. <laughs> Truly <laughs> horrific. Hey man, you remember those? Uh, That's those kind Josh of the Kogi Trevion Graham oh, pairings. Were, Trevion yeah. Graham's been fun in Atlanta. <laughs> Gave him up, but ooh, I've been. I was watching Josh Kogi last night. He made that corner three. I think it was toward the end of the game, and I feel like we've talked about this before. Josh Kogi is like a terrible shooter. Twenty nine percent from three last year. Twenty six percent this year. Like. There really aren't many players who shoot as many threes as he does and shoot that low of a percentage. But I, I'm, I see progress. Like yeah. his shot looks better. He looks. Not, I mean, not only does he like just look more controlled as a, more in control as a player. His shot looks better. It looks smoother. It looks more repeatable. Like, am I crazy to kind of see a world where this ticks up to you know that thirty four percent range over the next couple of years and he really does kind of become a nice three and D piece because it's um. like. If you just compare his shot at the beginning of last year to where it is today and project that, it's improved. Yeah, I, I mean, I would honestly, I haven't done like the thing where I, you know, you just watch his last 33s. Yeah, you know, yep. I haven't done that in a while. Maybe that would it better inform my opinion of how, because as you know, I've always said, I don't think he has repeatable yeah, shot mechanics. Yep. Um, I'd, I'd have to go back and look. I, I think he's he's playing a lot um, more confident which, you know, that normally shows up in your jump shots mechanics um, in, in many ways. But what, what I've liked is his ability to, on catches from beyond the arc, to be decisive yep. in putting, um, deciding to drive right away. And he's fast. And, and, yeah, he's fast. And he's he looks more way more athletic yep. than he was even a year ago. Um, but what he's doing is he's he's getting to the hoop and there's obvious there will always be the crazy josh kogi loses the ball in 17 different direction drives but there are a lot more of kind of getting to the restricted area it's not there finding a drop-off pass where i think which is like step one mm-hmm. and then step two is getting there and finding a kick out like a zip pass kick out to somebody on the perimeter and there's actually been a handful of those uh you know that i remember having seen now since the deadline and i think that's how you be a floor spacer that can't shoot yep maybe maybe the shot comes around uh i don't see the 34 percent on high volume that would surprise me yeah uh i don't know maybe the looks become a lot cleaner i think for him to get if he were to get to that level it would be about shooting only open threes 
when he which he mostly does yeah mostly i think it's, which isn't i think he could take cleaner shots sure yeah if he, if he took cleaner shots that would like for most players i think that that would help his um you know his his shooting numbers but he has the best offense rating on the team hmm. in this run the shooting thing was mostly like an am i going crazy because i agree like every data point out there would suggest he's a bad shooter and he's going to be a bad shooter basically except for the free throw line he's yeah. Since college, he's been that an matters. 80% plus free throw shooter. But I'm just starting to feel like, man, I'm kind of seeing it in him. I'm seeing growth, and I'm seeing a smooth stroke that's getting more repeatable. And I I think yeah, it's possible. No, it, I'm, it's interesting you bring up the, the free throw thing, and it's maybe uh, a pointing at my bias is that in my, in my notes for Keelan Martin, um, who is like shooting sim- like also 26% from mm-hmm. – three just like Josh Okoge, but I've always been much more optimistic about his his shooting mechanics. Um that I in my notes I reference always oh, thirty of thirty one from the free throw line though. So maybe that's a, a sig you know a sign that he could develop into a free throw shooter. Well or to a three point shooter. Yep, yep. If you know it's the same I can't just apply that to Keelan Martin yeah. and to not Josh Okoge. Well, then, you, then you look at a guy like Marcus Smart who's always been a good free throw shooter and was a terrible three-point shooter, yeah. but just put in the work, stuck with it, was patient, and now it's starting to look like, okay, it looks like that three-point shot is catching up. So maybe that's Okogi's yeah. path. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's not the year after. Maybe it's not till he's 26. But mm-hmm. I just think – I kind of think he's got it in him. And right. Maybe it's – I'm just feeling and hopeful right now. Yeah, no, sure. <laughs> I think I think that's fine. And, and I think what's good, as we were saying, is he can be an, a positively impactful player – without yep. that and that's not just because of the, the drive and drop-offs of talking about it's it's because of this critical role he's going to serve for this team defensively mm-hmm. they absolutely need a starter who can defend the point of attack because d'angelo russell cannot do that yep um you know for the entirety of a game they for a lot of reasons you just wouldn't even want to put him in that i mean it's too much yeah. work yeah for anyone and so to have that's really valuable with Josh Okogi. Yep. And I think he's getting better at that. He had he had a real he had a real tendency. It's kinda of actually similar to Chris Dunn, where he would just like step into the hole when a screen was coming mm-hmm. too soon. And and like any sort of smart point guard, like that's what you're looking at. Yep. When the pick and roll, you're looking at, you know, the strong side your defender's strong side foot and and deciding, like making a decision off of that. And a lot of the times when the wolves look stupid in pick and roll, we point to cat. A lot of it, scroll back like a second on the tape, and Josh Okoge over pursues a screen or whoever or doesn't or just yeah. yeah. But but there, there was that with Josh Okoge, yep. and I think he's I think he's getting better in his footwork there, um, I, or at least that that has shown up to me of late. So that you know that all matters. I mean he he's he's been really good offensively. The defensive numbers in terms of net rating have not been good. He's been eighth of the ten ten guys. But I have a lot more confidence. That doesn't match my eye test. Mm-hmm. It doesn't match what I historically think of him. Um, so I, I, I'm, you know, I'm optimistic that that'll balance out. He's fourth in net ma- net rating amongst the group, uh, minus one point three, which is a yeah, which is a step ahead of everyone else. So I, I'm just pretty much been pleased with him. Totally. I, all year, I mean, he he. I thought he started off the year really well, and then he kind of went into a bit of a longer I think that was his knee man yeah no i, I think that was I buy that. part of it i buy that for sure and i just it's it's fun to see somebody the timberwolves haven't had a player like that in a while who's more of a late lottery pick who just kind mm-hmm. of develops and develops and you know you have hope for him, and then he kind of grows into that hope and it seems like josh okogi yeah. is 
becoming one of those players, and that's a fun guy to root for. Absolutely, and it's the twentieth pick. Like <laughs> totally to, to get you know to thanks to sometimes we think yeah the first round we we get the, set up these expectations that it's got to you know it, it sometimes it's just big to not have a bust yep. to have a guy who's still yep. in the league four years later still and, a, and Josh a positive Kogi. contributor and and Josh Kogi is that his best pairing is the team's best pairing oh he's half of the best pairing the other half is Jordan McLaughlin. That makes sense. With I've, the two yep. of them on the floor, totally. plus 22.6. 126.3 offensive rating with those two. What? Yes. How many minutes? Uh, I think that one is 85. <laughs> I have that I have that up here wow. somewhere. But I love I mean, that. It's Offense, scrappy, defense. man. Scrappy, scrappy players. Okay, here it is. Yes, 80, that, one is, that one is 85 minutes. What was the other one we were talking about before? Layman and Russell. That was 55. Okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, not a big sample size, but it's what we got. Not a big sample size right. on any of these. Yeah, yeah right. But it's just, yeah. It's, and it's so what all, we got. All the, all the caveats. And this will be one that I think we will both make. Caveat, caveat, caveat? I don't know. We'll make that for us. James Johnson. He's his analytically um, been poor. But uh, it's it's pretty um, undeniable to. Why do you think that is that he's analytically been poor? Um, and um, it could just be a lineup thing. I I think he lacks discipline defensively in a group that desperately needs mm. discipline. Um, and you know, it's it's you know it, it, it's a problematic. Maybe you know then offensively. I think he's asked to have a bigger role than maybe his skill set is. Mm-hmm. He's I will get to it, but he's tenth out of he's tenth in offensive rating amongst the group. Like the the team is like one seventeen in offensive rating. He, when he's on the floor, it's one hundred four. Mm-hmm. Like it's the offense has been a lot worse. And, and when he's on the floor, he's playing point guard. Yeah. A lot. So it's yeah. So it's that. I I, I think that's the answer. Um, but I I don't think it's fake. I don't think it's like some sort of spin that he's been a really positive dude for that locker room like the guys clearly love him and respect him and i think i think that stuff i think that stuff matters and that's he's awesome not, he's not he's not good every night but like some nights he's really good the mm-hmm. pelicans game 19 points six rebounds five assists the pick and roll was lethal he was seven of 12 from two one of two from three it's, i'm glad to see him shooting a couple fewer threes i don't love his threes uh the chicago game took a backseat to nas reed which i think he's cool with you yep. know when he nas said is so. rolling yeah he did he said so after the game uh, eight points, four rebounds, five assists. Still kind of stuffs it in yeah. um, in lesser minutes. Two for three from two in that game. One for three from three. Um, in Minnesota, he's averaging 11.6 points per game, 4.8 rebounds, three and a half assists in 24 and a half minutes. 61% from two, 31% from three. Um, in Miami, he only played in 18 games. He's only playing 15 minutes a night. Um, even in that limited run, he just wasn't a big part of it. He was, And there he was scoring... Uh, 5.7 points, 2.9 rebounds, 1.2 assists. So he has um, he's taken on a, a bigger role. I mean, those those numbers that he's put up just from accounting stats perspective are in line with his like career highs. Yeah. Uh, just because you know that was he never had a, a massive role mm-hmm. in Miami, but he basically put up those numbers and then received a four-year, sixty-some million-dollar contract. Yep. That. You know, maybe we thought it was a little bit of an overpay at the time, but like four years, forty-five would have been fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, so he's he's definitely shown that he's not washed up. Yeah, and I think that yeah, we uh, we under um, considered him after that Gorgie James oh, Johnson. Oh, for sure, trade. we definitely did. I mean, I don't think 
I don't think we assumed he was going to be like an Evan Turner, Alan Crabb. No. Sort of nothing, even though I kind of liked Alan Crabb. That's now looking stupid. But, um, well, not really. <laughs> I don't know. I mean. No, I'm not like, I, I don't care. <laughs> uh, but, like, James Johnson's clearly, like, he's clearly someone they're cool with playing yeah. a lot. They like what he brings to the group. And, you know, presumably if he picks up his player option and they don't trade him, He's going to be someone in their final Which, like, playing. he's going to pick up his player option, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah It's yeah, like yeah. $16 million. Yeah. yeah. Um, is it, it's a, an interesting piece thinking forward for next year, especially if you kind of assume that Cat and Nas Reed is, like, your center rotation, which, like, woof, who's your rim protector? But it's nice. If you were not going to, like, let Gorgie take on that challenge, it's cool to have a guy like James Johnson who can both play – the four quote unquote four next to either of those guys or become your small ball center five when Nas Reed's not working. See, see I think that's exactly it. It's, yeah. it's, it doesn't just next year. We can't just think about it like 34 minutes a game for cat at center four no, for Nas. No. Like maybe some games Nas will get the backup minutes, mm-hmm. but, but then um, I think they'll go with a small ball option, you know, more, more frequently, if that's James Johnson or, you know, somebody they trade for, draft yep. or sign. Um, it was it was interesting. I mean, Ryan talked about Nas being part of the rotation next year. Like yeah. he he said that after you know one of these games, I was like, <laughs> mark that down. <laughs> um, you know, and I don't even mean that trip on Nas, who I think has had his had yeah. his flashes. But I think it's uh, when you're like, if you're next, if you're going into next year and you're saying playoffs are the goal, mm-hmm. which I think should be i'll be interesting to see how they word that yeah but i think they should be um as you're trying to finally take a step forward uh i mean to to have nas reed be your backup center wouldn't be congruent with that no um and and so then i think where we you know you paced over that a little bit is is what you're saying with yeah with james johnson playing some small ball center that would make some sense again or or someone else and, and then nas hopefully understanding that like you know you're <laughs> We'll see what we can give you. We like you. Yeah. But Carl Heather Towns is, you know, yeah. is here. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see with that. I'm James Johnson. I'm, I'm curious to, to that extent. I'm curious to see what they look like on the floor together. Him and Kat? Yeah. Totally. Like, I, have no I idea. am too. I think that's a really interesting possibility anyways. Not like it's going to be, not like he's like a perfect fit, but it's an interesting front court combination that I'm excited to see. But, and you touched on this, I think it's worth mentioning. He he probably will be brought up in every single one of the presumably million oh. trade conversations Russ has well, this that, summer. That was, that. but I said we were going to do a different podcast topic. We were yeah. Gonna, and we'll get to this, which is, you know, hypothetical trades, you know, target players to target yeah. trades for the Timberwolves. We'll do that at some point. I mean, when we have that conversation and we do five of those, three of my trades, I'm sure, will <laughs> include James Johnson going yeah. out. It's yeah. just, he is the the human trade exception and he'll be expiring and he'll be expiring next year. So it would make, it would, uh, it would make a lot of sense in that, you know, in that sense, uh, his, as, as a whole, his net rating is the worst on the team. Minus 12.9. His best pairing, best pairing is minus (laughs) (laughs) 5.7, which is bad. And that is with Jake Lehman. (laughs) Uh, so it's, uh, again, we we said like the, whatever, throw the numbers out. if, If you want, we're just, we're just giving them to you. Uh, speaking of numbers and the other side of it, that maybe these are equally throwoutable because uh, 
Nas Reed has the best net rating on the team since the trade deadline, plus 5.2, and he's played a ton. Yeah. So that's... And he's been very up and down. Exactly. Yeah. And I think maybe the minutes he's been off the floor have just happened to be down to that. You know, whatever. It, it, it balances all that out. But, I mean, let's give him credit. Double-doubles in those past two yeah. games. Pelicans game, 13 points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists, 4 of 8 from 2, 1 of 4 from 3. Chicago, 16, 11, and 3. Two of seven from two, three of three from three. Um, before the deadline, he played in 16 games, 6.6 points, 2.1 rebounds, one assist in just over 10 minutes a game, uh, 51% from two, 33% from three. Since the deadline, he's averaging 11.5 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, 1.4 assists in just about 23 minutes a night, 42.7% from two, which is bad, but shooting, again, back up to 40% yep. um, from three. He, What has changed most about his shot profile was almost before the deadline, almost 60% of his shots were threes. Yep. And that is flipped even more so. It's now it's now two-thirds of his shots have you know become twos, and, and threes have been a secondary thing, which is interesting. I mean, I think like 98% of that is scouting <laughs> report. Nobody was guarding him from beyond three when he first came into the league, and he was that, like, See, that's a, that's a good point, but that's like something I wouldn't even consider because in my head, in my scouting report, I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously this guy's a shooter. Yeah, like, totally. But <laughs> like, remember what? But it's <laughs> funny when, when you're like, wait, did I have a better scouting report than yeah. the, the Hornets? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I mean, know. I just looked up uh, his like <laughs> LSU stuff. <laughs> um, but like... Uh, who was it at the beginning of the year where somebody, Nas Reed had a three over some center and they looked at their bench yeah. and said, can that guy shoot? Yeah. Who was that? Uh, was it, I want to say Tyson Chandler. Somebody. I can't there remember. There was like some sort of vet. Yeah. But it's something hilarious like that. I just feel like with Nas Reed, up and down is a good thing. Like he's an undrafted rookie. Oh, yeah. As long as you're having some flashes, that's great. He just feels like, like it's so much is going to depend on whether he commits like to an off season of training. Of like working on his body because he's just, he has such a, it it seems like he has such a defined ceiling as long as he's in this shape Mm -hmm. or this out of shape. And I think this. Not to say he's out of shape. No, and I think this is him. He's taken strides. Yeah. Major strides actually in working on his body over the course of the year. But yeah, to to your point, there's many more steps in Mm -hmm. that. And again, uh, I think the the first step (laughs) of anybody working out is, you know, lowering your body fat percentage and then you're adding muscle and i i think with him he that's what he's he's lost i think like 20 pounds or something and um and then this summer you know you you hope it's um he really familiarizes himself with the weight room yeah and and i just think that could um defensively that could have a a major benefit i have always with natural shooters like that with just kind of touch mechanics i'm always uh wary of how much lifting can impact that mm-hmm. with your arms yeah um or i guess your body as whole. i mean you shoot but uh a lot a lot of the best shooters ever have not been heavy up, upper body lifters yeah and it's weird because i think he just needs that yeah he uh strength he, he just he just seems to need strength but uh, statistically <laughs> statistically only jake layman has a better defensive rating <laughs> Get this, get this. I don't have anything to say about get that. Get this, get this. <laughs> two players, um, only two players on the team before the trade deadline and after the trade deadline 
have positive net ratings in both. In How both many times. players? Two, total. But it before before the trade deadline, Nas Reed was plus seven in net rating, and Jake Lehman was plus one point two. And now, since the trade deadline, wipe that away. Nas Reed is plus five point two, and Jake Lehman is is plus two point three. Yeah, that's it. Those are the only guys who have positive net ratings. Well, I in mean, either in either set of the of the year. So there's not nothing to to them being players who this team is having more success when mm-hmm. they're on the floor. And sometimes I just think when we're we're poking holes, which we should do, particularly with Nas's defense. Sometimes we like we shoot a like a rocket launcher through it to point that hole. Like, oh my God, look at his defensive footwork, and we yep. blow it up into it's the. It's bad, but it's not as impactful in a literal sense as, as we might point to. Now, will he ever be able to be a truly competent player that won't get run off the floor in the playoffs without addressing that hole? No. no. Like that, it, it has to be there. But in the sense of how it impacts a bad team, I, I actually don't think Nasrid is that much of an impediment on this team. Sure. The defense is already crap crap <laughs> so and yeah. i mean he's he's got he uh, maybe all people who are you know six nine six ten and however big he is like are gonna have flashes as a rim protector but he doesn't show nothing and yeah. that's a good sign and to the jake Lehman and nas reed thing like nice that those are whatever that <laughs> means nice that those are two of the guys who are under contract yeah there yeah. you go Jarrett culver is nas reed's best partner okay i don't know that one feels random to yeah me. i feel like Jarrett culver has uh he's up next year has learned from the is starting to learn from the whole Josh Okogi taking players off of the catch conversation we had. He mm-hmm. had a couple of those last night where he's just starting to look yep. more decisive, fewer and going fakes. through players. Oh, the one he had last night. Yep. Who did he go through? I don't Saturansky, know. Saturansky. Yeah, that was awesome. He yep. just bullied through him, but he just looks like he's hard. I mean, because he's he's quick enough, like he can get past guys who are yep. closing out on him, and he looks like he's kind of learning from Okogi in that regard. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, you know, I've been really hard on, on Jared Culver. It's, I, not because I don't like him as a person or anything. I thought the play has been, before the trade deadline, was extremely underwhelming to mm-hmm. me, and I wasn't seeing growth. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't have, you know, been pounding the table just because he was performing at that level. I was pounding the table because it, it – I, I couldn't point to something and say this is what's getting better. Mm-hmm. I, will, I I didn't I didn't see that. Maybe the coaching staff would have seen something else. Um, now I think in this this new eleven game sample, I'm seeing him playing with more force, um, going to the rim, and then the, he's made forty three percent of his threes yeah. since the thirty five shots too. I mean that's not that. I mean he's 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 made he's made some threes. Yep. Since the deadline and that you know that stuff that stuff matters. He's he's reworked his shot mechanics. I really want to put that out there that. For people who think he's waiting until the the, the, the summer, yeah. there's been go look at it. Well, look at his free throws right now. He's taking his left hand off the ball when mm-hmm. when he shoots it. It's very things things have changed with the shot, and they've been changing that throughout the summer. Maybe there's a full on like I don't know if they. I don't even know what more they can do because they keep it keeps changing. Yeah, um, and in in an intentional manner. So you know if. If they're changing it and there's better results, you know, a little bit of credit there. Yeah, totally. For sure. Um, he's, you know, against – I'll just read off his, his pre- and post-deadline numbers. They're almost exactly the same. Um, post-deadline 
points, 3.2 rebounds, 1.1 assists, 21 minutes a night. Um, almost identical numbers, but he was playing three and a half more minutes per game before the deadline, which is yeah an interesting sort of uh, note in all this. Before the deadline, 45.9% from two, 27.2% from three. Since the, the deadline, 49% from two, 42.9% from three. So you're seeing an uptick in both of his his shooting percentages. His free throw percentage before was like 44%, and now it's 50% since the, there you go. <laughs> since the deadline. So <laughs> I have such like competing thoughts on Jarrett Culver. Like one half of my brain thinks about like we, we you draft a, a rookie ball handler, and we all kind of said – you know, either he's an off-ball handler or he's they're going to try to groom him into a primary ball handler. And we knew, like, these kinds of players are terrible as rookies. And we talked about it, and we knew it. And with, you know, you look around the league and you think of guys like Darius Garland. Oh, oh, can, can I cut you yeah. off? Because I could see where you're going. And I, I don't think that's how I thought of Jared Culver, is as a primary ball handler. And in the sense that, like, an, what you're referencing is how point guards – Yep really struggle traditionally. Yep. I I thought there were that would be part of Jarrett Culver's pie. But I think if I thought it was going to be more a bigger part of the pie, I wouldn't have been as frustrated sure. as I have been with Jarrett Culver because what I thought he was going to be was an off-ball player offensively that was going to be asked to shoot competently and defend, mm-hmm. you know, multiple positions, be an impactful defender if not great similar to like Josh Okogie last yeah. year. Those were those were my expectations. And those to not meet expectations in those areas to me is very different than being like overwhelmed by the game as a point guard. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And I'm not trying to like do a 180 on Jarrett Culver or anything because I think that's tough because all of his value as an amateur was derived by being on the ball. So Mm -hmm. to be like have him come in as a rookie and be like, you're not going to do any of what made you good. (laughs) You're going to do everything that coaches avoided having you do and you better be productive is like kind of tough. So if sounds like Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, that turned out a little better. Um, but kind of, I don't know. And maybe he hasn't been on the ball enough for this to be a valid point. But like you think of guys like Garland and white who you don't watch as much and you hear about their struggles and their struggles and their struggles. And then they'll have stretches of good play, but they're really just like struggling. Most but then of you the year. watch them and Kobe White last night we saw firsthand, and yep. I watched their previous game there too. And I understand that Kobe White has had had struggles, but I see even in the snippets within the games yep. that he is quote unquote struggling. I'm like, oh, there's a player in there. Yep. And it's the same thing that's been my experience with Darius Garland. For Jarrett Culver, what are those? The dunks? Yeah. No, like I, the, it's to me, it's it's very dip, the bright spots of Darius Garland. And Kobe White are very different to me than the bright spots of Jarrett Culver because I think the bright spots for Jarrett totally. Culver are straight line drive dunks that are like cool, but how impactful are they? Yeah, no, I I totally agree. And so just like to, I feel like maybe we're too hard on him because we watch him every day. But yeah. I was saying that I have like two halves of my mind, and the other half of my mind is what can a a ball handler, a secondary ball handler, or an off ball guard slash wing do? if they're a 50% free throw shooter and a 27% three point shooter like yeah. not in this league what can they become like a very specific thing on a team who's running a very different system than this one that's a good point that's a good point i mean yeah i 
I don't know. It's going to be – it'll be one of the biggest questions, I think, next season once, you know, you got the group together. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to go. We're going we're gonna to have this conversation. We're gonna go, okay, well, I can you – know, assuming a lot of the same pieces are back. You go, I, I see where Malik Beasley fits into this. Hernan Gomez, a Kogi, even a James Johnson. And we're going to go with Culver, and we're going to go, hmm. hmm. He never really worked with Cat. What? Yeah. How does this? You know, how does this connect? Um, and I, that'll that doesn't mean it won't be able to work. It'll just be harder to make an argument for it working. Yeah. And and sometimes players just change in their in their second year in the league. And I think that's the biggest thing you're holding out for. Yep. With Jared Culver is that that change comes. Jordan McLaughlin. We still got a couple guys left here, but we got to hit on Jordan McLaughlin yeah. because he's been <laughs> a guy. Really like, damn good. I was so wrong about Jordan McLaughlin <laughs> for so long. Like I, you'd watch him in the summer league and be like, eh. mm-hmm. like, do they really see it with this guy? Like nice pesky summer league player, but like, really, do you see it with this guy? Like on an NBA floor? Oh my God. Just last night alone comes in and changes the momentum like that. It's awesome. He, so if you look at the Wolves four wins since the trade deadline, the theme in all four of them is very good Jordan McLaughlin play with a really good stat line. That first Clippers game, um, right after the break, McLaughlin was 11 of 15 from the field, had 11 assists. They beat the Clippers. The second win since the deadline is against Miami. He gets the game-winning basket over Bam Adebayo, yeah. and he shot four or five from the field in, in that game. The Then the New Orleans game, he shoots six of seven from the field and, and dishes out seven assists in that game, Yeah, and they win. And then Chicago last night, 10 points, seven assists. And, and clearly impactful on on both sides of the ball. I mean, it sounds weird to say, but when you talk about the, on this roster, if you're ranking the players' impact on winning, I mean, Jordan McLaughlin is, is up there. Yeah, over the, over the last 10 games or yeah. 11 games or whatever. Yeah, no it's, doubt. Which, you know, just makes the case for him to – you know, so okay, so th- that's the whole question with Jordan McLaughlin is: mm-hmm. Are they going to convert his contract? What's going to happen? How close? I mean, you don't know. I don't think you know how close he is to the end of his forty-five days. But do you have any sort of sense of how they view him as a you know a, um, a group to special candidate? I, I have not um, been able to gather what they like. I mean, they like Ryan will tell you like they love him, but but from a mm-hmm. like a roster building, you know, perspective, I. I don't know. I'm. I'm I, I. I can't say I know that they're really gunning to get Jordan McLaughlin a contract. Now I, I think they're just at a sp- the spot where we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Once he runs out of his 45 days, which would have to be, you know, sometime soon. But the issue they'll run into there is they're currently in the luxury tax, mm-hmm. and so there's like a couple competing factors there. They theoretically, you know, like to get out yep. of the out of the luxury tax. You know not just for cost purposes, but for the benefit of not being in the luxury, you know, you don't want to, you can't basically can't be in the luxury tax for multiple years in a row. So it's like, they're like 450 K into, into the tax right now. So let's say if theoretically Evan Turner's holding out for, and will eventually cave to a $500,000 buyout. Why would he cave now though? If you wanted to, if you wanted to, this just, just, yeah. But that still that still does happen sometimes. Sure. Or or you can put Jacob Evans in there. Yep. For or or Omari Spellman or, or or something like that, where if you could get a buyout for five hundred thousand dollars, then boom, you're out of the tax. Yep. You're good. 
But it's, even if you just hired, signed Jordan McLaughlin to a 10-day contract, mm-hmm. not even a rest-of-season contract, a 10-day contract co- costs 90 k Yep. Well, just one 10-day. So you're like, oh, good, we got our $500,000 buyout. We're, we're out of the tax, but Jordan McLaughlin's out of our, his days. You're not going to throw him a 10-day to – yeah, if you've gotten out of it. But what if you can't find a way to get out of it, or you're not willing to go to those lengths to get out of it? Then it's like, well, let's just let's, let's give them let's the contract. The We're already paying the tax yep. anyways. Yep, and I think yeah. that that's the question. And we're, But we're not going to know what they think about that until the 45 days are up. Yep. What I have heard is they have absolutely maximized in every sense of the word the 45 days. Sure seems like it. Yeah, I mean, what are we, what are we, how many games are into the season? 60? Yeah. Like or yeah. like I mean it's they these guys are still on the team, <laughs> just like playing. I mean and Keelan too. So it's um, it's not all of the games they've played because it's once the G League season starts. So yep. it's just it's it's very hard to to know what the number is. Mm-hmm. But I have heard that they have stretched it to the as much as they possibly could. They also get to come back and play with the the. The big club once the G League season is over, so that could be a route that they go with McLaughlin, just kind of deal well until that happens. Yeah, like send him down for like two weeks. Once he hits his forty-five days, he goes away over. for two weeks. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to to see that. But but that you know that is the question because he definitely he this has become a question not because we're like oh he's an NBA player this year. It's a question because you go we're at this point where you go I think he might be able to be the backup point guard next yep. year. Or yep. f- or give him a you know a multi yep. a multi year contract and and that's what kind of you know harshens the you know the, the the fire here of the of the question of you know it feels like it kind of needs to happen it yeah. wouldn't just be like a thing to do totally so yeah um, I don't know it, it it will I assume come to a head at some point here soon I I don't know if you put Amari Spellman on waivers you put Jacob Evans on waivers would some team just claim him. Then that just deletes their two million dollars salary completely. Well, I don't know. I think maybe some team. I, yeah, I was gonna say like, w- yeah, would nobody claim a Jacob Evans? E- either of them? Wouldn't you think someone no, will claim either. both of them? Y- you would think because they're under contract for next year, like basically at the functionally the minimum. I mean, I feel like I've never, I, I've never, in all of the Jacob Evans I've ever watched, it's never been much positive. But like, I can, I have some positive Spellman memories. But that's yeah, for sure. No, I, I think that's that's my my stance on it. Yeah. Too. But I think there's a more there's more layers to the Amari Spellman situation. Sure, and Jacob yeah. Evans is a is a wing is like so. Right. If you're yeah. you know that's scarce in today's NBA. Yeah, the Vanderbilt is almost. I don't feel like that gets enough play. That's the weirder one to me. There were people who like were like pretty big on him. Like I remember yeah. listening. to I some mean, of maybe the he just wouldn't be in the rotation. Maybe it's just that simple. Like, yeah, who does Jared Vanderbilt play over in this rotation? He, he looked. He's looked lost in the limited run he's gotten. Yes, and and he's looked lost in in Denver too. He's yeah, purely a prospect, so it makes sense to you know just get them time in the G League. But it is it is kind of curious the like harsh line in the sand that has been drawn between the team and Amari Spellman. And it's hard to imagine Jared Vanderbilt, Amari Spellman, Jacob Evans, like all these guys being like Nas Reed, Jordan McLaughlin, Keelan Martin, like them taking up that much a chunk of their roster with those kind of players next year i have a hard time seeing it yeah exactly that's a that's a good point um the the other two left just to just to round it out we can just hit on them maybe uh collaboratively or can what's the word there together jay clayman and uh (laughs) and keelan martin are the the ninth and and tenth guys who have been playing 
Jake has only played in six games since the deadline, 4.8 points per game, 1.7. I mean, his numbers have um, been been really poor mm-hmm. uh, just from I – mean, he's like the 10th man on this team. He yeah. doesn't uh, – it doesn't look pos- like impactful. <laughs> he's looked rusty, yeah. I mean, he missed 40 games. To me, yeah. it's, it's kind of as simple as that. I'd be much more concerned if the first 18 games he played, uh, you know, weren't weren't excited because he yeah. averaged ten and a half, three rebounds, was making thirty five percent of his threes, fifty four percent of his twos. I mean, he was um you know, he was he was he was something there. So it's I, I'm glad he's back that we were gonna be able to see what twenty more games of like let him get the, the rust actually off. Totally. He's not like a guy who they're gonna be able to say, Oh, go play in summer league. You yeah. Know? No. Like you gotta kinda That's big. You wanna get him a little bit of confidence here the rest of the season. And then Keelan Martin, I mean I think he's been a good two-way player. He kind of is starting to pale in comparison to yeah. Jordan McLaughlin. Um, and as I was talking about a little bit before, he's just not shooting the ball well. Um, he's only made 26% of his threes. So goofy. I, it was the the one thing I was holding on to for a while, just because, it, it's, you know, I've been like Team Keelan yeah, all, yeah. all year. And I was like, well, he missed his first 11 threes. Like, he, he missed his oh, first yeah, 11 yeah, threes yeah. this season. So I was always like, well, you know, factor that in to his three-point percent. But now we're at this point where he's he's taken 95 threes. So even if you even if you delete the 11, he's still at 29%, which yeah. is Culver. <laughs> so it's like he, has, he hasn't been, he hasn't been a three-point shooter. But um, he, like, both before the deadline when he was playing in those that, – that chunk 15 games that Cat didn't play with that group – he was an impactful part of a, that good defense. Yep. Um, which I think it was a kind of out of nowhere addition to his game. I agree. Um, that that he looks competent there. He's not like playing the four. He he's guarded all sorts of different types of players, and and I think that's that's enticing. That makes up a little bit from for not for not being a shot maker. Um, he's getting to the free throw line. I think has increased, and he's made all but one of his free throws. To me, that matters. And and yeah, just like a little bit of, of ability to go off the dribble. Yep. Um, he's thick, uh, and it doesn't see, in a, not like a slow you down sort of way. I wouldn't call him explosive, mm-hmm. but like he can he can maneuver his way to the rim. Um, you know, finish off of both feet, both sides of the. I mean, he's a he can he can drive to the bucket, and then he's got that like really long floater sort of game. It's too. just a nice prospect. Yeah, it's a nice yeah. prospect. I I've again, I mean. It's pretty well documented that that uh, I like the guy. Um, but you think it's pretty? You think there McLaughlin has a much better chance of being back next year than Martin? I mean, but now it, we're just getting to this point where McLaughlin's just been so good. Yeah. But I, I mean, a month ago I would have said the op- Two months ago, maybe I would yeah. have said the opposite. I would have too, and that would have been somewhat founded in my belief that he's a good shooter, good system fit. Good, yeah, good system fit in that sort of way, and and seems to be able and to play a little bit of defense. Yeah, wing, yeah. But the thing with Jordan, though, which has kind of come out in the past month, is he knows the system better than anyone else. He's the most comfortable in the style of play of anyone on the entire team, and that not only shows up in his own play, but has been really uh, beneficial to the whole group. Like, the, it's it's weird. Like listening to the guys, these guys talk about Jordan, and it's like. They talk about him like he's the longest tenured vet yeah. on the team. Like, yeah. like listening to him and, and him saying what to do, which is really weird. If I don't know, people haven't really got the chance to hear him talk. He's super soft spoken, yep. um, but like he just he has that um, lead by example sort of sort of deal to him. That that says I, a lot. 
I mean, yeah. if guys like that are curious what you think or what your tip is or it, it's just it's just funny when they like when they start listing up you know you you were just in the scrums and you start asking Nas Reed about you know learning you know oh, you're learning Nas tell us a little bit about that and 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 you know he starts listing off like the guys he's learning from and it's he says James Johnson he says D'Lo and he says McLaughlin <laughs> you know and that's just wow like James Johnson's been in the league for 11 years. D'Angelo <laughs> Russell was an all-star last year. And Jordan McLaughlin is on a two-way contract. Yeah, like 15 total people know who he is. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just uh, – so, I yeah, I, why wouldn't you want Why wouldn't you want that guy on your team? Um, yeah. I do like the – I don't know. Like, it's hard to imagine he's, like, creating this, like, league-wide buzz or anything. But I like the idea of letting him play out his, his 45 days before if you're going to give him a contract before you do because – it is still a small sample size, right. and and for both him and Martin, I think I should say they're how it works with the two ways. You you become a restricted free agent, mm-hmm. restricted with your restricted offer being another two way. So it's um, the whole two way system is weird and very uh, bad for players. Like in it's it's bad for players who make it work. Yeah. It's good for players because it gets them into the NBA. Like if the two-way rule hadn't been here for the past three years, Jordan McLaughlin and Keelan Martin aren't in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not making – I mean, these those guys are go- both going to make like hundreds of thousands of dollars now playing stateside, whereas they would have had to s- – they wouldn't have been getting that much money playing overseas likely, and they would have been overseas. So yep. in, in many senses it's very good, but there's also – I mean – a lot of crap they have to deal with, with uncertain uh, futures. They live in hotels here. Like it's a, it's a, it's a weird. He doesn't get to go to practice because they're <laughs> trying to. <laughs> yeah, save maybe that's his the days. exactly. Like, oh, it sucks, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's tricky. Um, but but I, I they would have traded for the world. I I mean, both of those guys are loving the opportunity yeah. of getting it because they're you know they're doing something with it. Yeah, totally. They're like, they're, they made a case to be in the league next year, whether it's on this team or yep. on another team. And that's a, that's a big deal. They yeah. get it. They get it. If they get an M either of them get an NBA contract, even if it's a one year minimum next season, and you're talking about they now have a year of experience. So now they're up making like 1.5 million bucks next year into yeah. their pocket. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's always so stupid to me when people go, Oh, now this person got an $80 million contract. That's life changing money. No man, like one a one point five million dollar contract for a twenty four year old, like that literally will change the next, like, will be so make his life so different for the totally. next ten years. Then well, for the rest of it, hopefully. Well, for re- for the rest of it, hopefully, but just like even if the other opportunity is like playing in Ukraine, yeah, where th- those guys are making good money, they're traveling the world, and it's like I'm not saying that's a bad gig, but like the revenue, yeah that you're putting together is, is very different. So it's, it's, it's a cool story, I guess is totally an interesting dynamic has a whole bunch of different things, including economics to it that are, that are really interesting, but I, they're, they're just, they're like both really likable guys too. Yep. Yep. And maybe that's just all rookies or guys who are like scrapping by. You're like, well, they both have a weird maturity to them, like a quiet yeah. confidence and like a wise beyond their years type of aura. Mm-hmm. That's they both look older too. <laughs> Especially Keelan Martin. Yeah, Keelan Martin looks like he's about thirty-five. He does. He's like All right, now. I didn't want to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he definitely does. Um, well, and and you know they both played for four years in college, then they then uh, 
Jordan played in the G League in Brooklyn last year, and and Keelan was in Germany. You mm-hmm. know, so there's uh, they've had they've had more life experience than your traditional rookie. So I yep. think that yeah, I think that just shows up too. All right, we didn't give the end of the bench guys as much shine, but we've been we've been going for a while here now. That's Charlie Johnson. We'll be back. Charlie and I will be back together um, next Thursday with another pod. We'll, we will judge our pod topics based on the relevance of the, the team, <laughs> what is relevant. But uh, but I appreciate you, you coming to do this. You can follow everything uh, Charlie's putting out on Twitter at CJohnsNBA. I'm Dane at DaneMoreNBA. Until next Monday, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.